by God's Word, of course. I mean the Bible. I mean Holy Scripture. Just think with me for a moment. I put a little phrase up here on the screen for you to just contemplate. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but try to imagine a world without a Bible. Have you ever tried to imagine that? A world without a Bible. No Bibles anywhere in the entire world. Imagine God never giving us Scripture. What would this world be like? Oh, it's frightening to comprehend, isn't it? As if the world is not bad enough. Can you imagine what our world would actually be like if there were no Bibles at all? And if you can't imagine that scenario, then you need to read the book of Genesis. Just read the book of Genesis, (laughs) okay? And I'm not talking about the first two chapters when everything was perfect. What happens after the fall? Because you see, for 2,500 years, the world had no Bible. 2,500 years. From Adam to Moses, there was apparently no written revelation from God. So apparently, they just, you know, Adam told his sons, and then they told their sons, and so forth. And it was just, it was just knowledge handed down to the next generation. So they told stories by word of mouth. Well, does that scenario make for one of those kind of stories that we like to read and we like to see in movies where, you know, you know how the, you know, those books that end and they lived happily ever after? Does that make for one of those kind of stories? No, in fact, it's far from it. If you read, you know, starting in Genesis chapter 3 into the story of Noah, what does God eventually have to do? He has to destroy the entire world with the worldwide flood. What about you, though? What about you? How committed are you to this book of books? The greatest book there is. And it's not any ordinary book. I mean, Scripture itself says in Hebrews 4 that it is living, it's active, it's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, can, it can pierce into your, into your inner being. No other book's able to do that. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to lay down your life for the publication and preaching of God's Word? Many have throughout the years. How much do you love and use this glorious eternal book? It's easy for us to obtain copies of the Bible today. All you have to do is go online. There, there's online copies of the Bible. You, you can order your own. You can go into Christian bookstores. It's easy. People give them away. Do you realize, though, that nearly 2 billion people still do not have a copy of the Bible? Over 2 billion people. That number represents over 11,000 people groups around the world. Many people still don't even have a Bible in their own language or in their dialect. So to those billions of people, the preservation and the circulation of the Word is something to actually die for. It's precious. In fact, many men and women have died and, are, and, and by the way, are still dying even today so that the Word would be preserved and translated and published into their language. In case you're not familiar with him, let me tell you about one of my favorite Bible translators and you'll see a likeness of him on the screen. John Wycliffe translated the first English Bible way back in 
1384. 1384. And it cost him dearly. He was hated by churchmen. They wanted to burn him at the stake for daring to try to translate the Bible into English because at that time Latin was the, the thing that the churchmen used. He fully expected to die a very violent death, but instead God chose to preserve him and he actually died peacefully on the, the last day of that year that he ended up finishing the English translation of the Bible. However, so great was the hatred for John Wycliffe. Um, it was uh, 40 years after his death. They dug up his bones out of the ground and burned his bones. His ashes were cast into the river swift. And here's what Mr. Smith wrote, I quote, As the swift bear them, that's his ashes into the Severn, and the Severn into the narrow seas, and they again into the ocean. Thus the ashes of Wycliffe is an emblem of the Bible, which is now dispersed over all the world. End quote. So we praise God. I hope you praise God. Uh, today the Word of God can be found on every continent around the world. But it wasn't always that way. Not always that way. For centuries, I hope you understand, the Bible was suppressed by those who wanted to keep people ignorant. Much of the church at that time wanted to keep people ignorant, because when you're ignorant, then you have them under your thumb. You have them under your control. Copies of the Bible had to be made by hand, and and, a, and during that time, a good copy would take uh, a professional scribe about a year working full-time just to write out one copy of the Bible. And so because it took that much time, the price for a single Bible was was astronomical in price. In fact, it, in today's amount of money, it would have cost you your entire uh, entire year's wage just to buy one copy of the Bible. And so, of course, as a result of that, uh, you know, most people can't afford an entire year's wage to pay for one copy of the Bible, so it was unaffordable. Until one of the greatest inventions came about, God brought about uh, a man by the name of Johann Gutenberg who invented the movable type printing press in 1450. And even today, it's considered one of the greatest inventions ever, ever made. And this movable type printing press went around uh, Europe into all the major centers. Uh, you, you could find it in Rome, Venice, Cologne, Florence, Paris, just to name a few places. And by the way, the first major book to be printed on the movable type printing press was the Bible. It was printed in Mons, Germany, about 1456. And I quote from Dr. Beale's book here. He says this, The first edition of the 42-line Bible took nearly six months to produce, uh, to produce the first Bible. So it was... Uh, you know, they had some things to work out in the beginning, but it certainly cut down the price. And as a result, many people were able to afford it. Another one of my favorite Bible translators is uh, William Tyndale. Some have said that William Tyndale has influenced the, the English language more than anyone, including William Shakespeare. Funny enough, they have the same first name. 
But he translated the New Testament into English in 14, or sorry, 1524 through uh, 1525. Uh, he had to flee England because, again, it was not a popular thing to be doing in England at that time. And so he ended up shipping them from uh, Germany over to the shores of England. He had uh, tended how to secretly work in Germany to translate and print these Bibles because at that time it was considered illegal to print a Bible in the English language. And so after spending 500 days in prison, because he, by the way, he was, he was uh, betrayed by somebody who was pretending to be his friend, and they ended up capturing him. The religious leaders ended up capturing him, and he, so he spent 500 days in prison. And, it, and then on October 6, 1536, Tilliam, uh, sorry, William Tyndale entered the pearly gates of heaven. They tied him to a stake. They strangled him until he died. And then he burned his body to ashes. And his last words at the stake were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. I love that prayer because God answered that prayer. The prayer was miraculously answered three years later. There was an English Bible that was distributed to every English church by order of the king. God answers prayer in amazing ways. And of course, the rest is, is really history. It, it, it's amazing that 75 years later, the King James authorized version became the official translation of the Bible for the common man. And so we need to thank God for people like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe and others who have sacrificed so much for us to have God's Word. We owe them a great debt. So the Word of God plays a crucial life, or a crucial part in our lives. And you say, well, why is that? Because it's what God uses to sanctify us. It's what, what God uses in our lives so we would understand who Jesus is, who He is, and His ways. It's how we grow in godliness. So it should become a prominent part of our life. It should be something that we love because we love God. How we spend... Uh, our time in God's Word is going to vary depending on, on the method of Bible intake. And I don't know if you're aware of that. So there's, there are various means of Bible intake. So let me just talk about this with you a little bit, and, and we'll look at some scriptures that will be helpful in this regard. I've put the five methods of Bible intake on the screen here for you. Uh, we're not going to have time to look at all these. But let me just throw these out to you, and then we'll talk about a couple of them. So... These are the ways, these means of grace that God has given to you, that He blesses you with, that you need to be aware of and use. All right? You need to hear God's Word, read God's Word, study God's Word, memorize God's Word, and meditate on God's Word. Now, every one of these methods is important, and so I want to take uh, just a few moments on, on uh, some of these and consider them. Number one, let's look at the first one here. First method of Bible intake is hearing. You need to hear God's Word. Now, this method happens when the Bible is is taught. Uh, usually it's taught to us or preached to us by uh, pastors or teachers. Uh, it doesn't have to be exclusively that way, but often that's the case. And so it's very important for us to listen when God sends a pastor or a teacher across our path, that we listen. Because Jesus Christ has given to His church these people, these 
gifted people to teach us the truths of God's Word, and then hopefully they also teach us how to apply God's Word to our lives. Every Christian needs to hear the Word taught by other people. Yes, you need to hear it on your own, read it on your own, but you also need to hear it from other people. None of us has the ability or the time to know everything about the Bible or or about God himself. And so it's important to sit under the teaching of a man who is gifted by God, who's been trained to expound God's words to us. And that's what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We don't have time to expound this passage, but it should be pretty obvious here in Ephesians 4, verse 11, that God has given gifts to the church, and part of these gifts that God gives to you includes pastors and teachers. Look at verse 11. That's He, that's Jesus Christ in this case, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for what purpose? Why did God give you pastors and teachers? Verse 12, to equip the saints, that's you, if you're a believer, you're a saint, okay? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. God wants you to mature, become mature, not to stay a baby. Notice the next phrase, verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Christ is your standard. He is your rule. He's the one you're striving to be like. Changed into his image. Verse 14, a purpose statement here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So do you understand the analogy that the Scripture is using here? God is saying in His Word here that the church is like a body, a physical body. Bodies made of many different parts and Hopefully, it's going to be a healthy body. And the way, the way that a church can be a healthy body is God is the one who assigns, if you will, leaders to churches to teach you and train you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. God gives pastors and teachers to churches, local churches, so that you do the ministry, not the pastors do the ministry. Okay? God wants you to be healthy, that you can help one another. He wants you to know the truth, to be able to speak the truth in love. He wants you to grow up so that you're not tossed about by wind and, you know, the radio preachers and 
false teachers you might find somewhere else so that you would be mature, so that you would know Christ. Well, the type of hearing that God expects of us is well illustrated for us with the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17. The verse is on the screen here. It says, They received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily. So how often did they search the Scriptures? Daily. That's a good exhortation for you. That's what God expects of us. Be constantly in His Word. And by the way, these were people who knew at least one of the apostles. They had been taught by at least the Apostle Paul. But yet, despite that marvelous privilege that God had given to them, they didn't just accept uh, blindly what the apostles were saying to them, but they instead went to God's Word, the standard, and judged what they were saying, tested and examined what they were saying on this truth. Which is what we ought to be doing. And then when it matched, they received, it says, they received the Word with all readiness. Well, Jay Adams says that those who listen to sermons are just as much to blame for their ineffectiveness as those who deliver them. Sadly, there is a lot of ineffectiveness when it comes to listening to God's Word. So I'm going to give you a lot of suggestions and, and helps today. These are not commands. Okay, uh, A lot of these things are based on uh, on principles and verses in Scripture, but most of them are not commands. Okay. But, but listen to what J. Adams says in his book, A Consumer's Guide to Preaching. He says, too many laymen, by the way, that's just a, that, that's a term for you, okay? But he says, too many people, how's that? Speak about the preaching event as if it were a one-way street. As if the responsibility for what transpires when the Bible is proclaimed rests solely on the shoulders of the preacher. But that's not so. Effective communication demands competence from all parties. Okay? If you're not familiar with uh, the principles of communication, one of the things, I, I actually had a class in university, principles of communication. One of the things we learned is communication doesn't take place unless it is a two-way street and both channels are working properly. Okay? For example, if, if I say something and nobody hears it, is communication taking place? Of course not. Okay? You have to hear it. You actually don't, in more than that, you have to understand what's being said from the Bible. Otherwise, communication is not taking place. Reminds me of a funny story, actually, when we first came to New Zealand. Uh, to get this point across, bear with me. All right, there was a friend of ours who was trying to talk about chocolate pudding to a New Zealand. This, this woman was talk, from, from the States talking to a New Zealand woman about chocolate pudding. They thought they were talking about the same thing when in reality they weren't. They weren't actually communicating because the woman, the woman from the United States was thinking chocolate custard. The woman here in New Zealand was thinking dessert. And they were getting really frustrated with one another because they weren't actually communicating, even though they were talking the English language. Do you see my point? Okay. Communication is a two-way street. All right? 
the word pudding meant two different things to, to them. <laughs> and therefore, they weren't communicating. And so, J. Adams is saying it's, it is a two-way street. Communication demands competence from all parties. Well, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I love what he says. Quote, again, up here. We are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation? The sower or the ground? What do you think? Well, Spurgeon says, I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, more by the hearer than by the preacher. Do you understand they're both important? Okay. In order for you to actually hear God's word, you, you, you have to prepare the soil of your heart. So hearing the word of God properly is actually a scriptural responsibility. It's not an option for you. Okay. You don't do this if you feel like it. You do this because God tells you to and you love God, hopefully. And so I think a lot of Christians don't really realize this. So let me tell you what Jesus says. Okay? I'll just give you three examples of what Jesus says. All right? Matthew 13, Jesus says, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's, he's not talking about your physical ears, because everybody has those. But Jesus goes on in Mark 4, 24. He says, Take heed what you hear. And then Jesus also says in Luke chapter 8, not just what you hear, but he says, take heed how you hear it. So if you have ears, hear. Take heed what you hear. Take heed how you hear. Those are just a few examples. And, and that could be multiplied many, many times throughout the Bible. So let me give you ten suggestions Ten suggestions. Again, these are not commands, just suggestions to help us become better listeners and learners during the teaching of God's Word. Number one, uh, these all have, uh, we could find scriptures for every single one of these, but uh, the first one is test yourself to see if you are in the faith. In other words, what I'm saying is, Scripture says to examine yourself to see if you're actually a Christian. The Bible says it's only those who are saved from sin by grace through faith in Christ alone that can actually understand the truth of God's word. You don't believe me? Read 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says it's those who are spiritually, it, it's, it, the word of God is only understood because it's spiritually discerned. In fact, he says there in chapter 2, the natural man, which is the unsaved person, cannot understand the Bible. I don't say a person can't understand the Bible because it's spiritually discerned. If you don't have the author of Scripture, who is the Holy Spirit residing within you, you, you have no hope of understanding Scripture. That's part of the reason why some people, even in churches, can't understand. They need to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. Number two, 
confess and forsake your sin continually. 1 John 1, 9 tells us to do that. And the good news is if you do confess your sin, because God is faithful and just, he says he will forgive your sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says that we, we must be putting aside sin so that we may no longer, or we may long for the pure milk of the word. Like a baby. You ever seen a baby who's hungry? And I mean babies, all they do is, they only drink milk. They don't drink solid, or they can't eat solid food yet. What do they do when they're hungry? They long for that milk, right? God says you're to be that way. Like a baby longing for the pure milk of the word. Number three, prepare yourself for the message the night before by praying and getting to bed on time and also by rising early enough to have plenty of time to get ready in the morning. I've experienced where I go to bed too late, don't get up early, and if I don't get up early enough, I don't have time to be in the Word of God, I don't have time for prayer in the morning, and that really messes the whole day up on Sunday. Messes the entire day up. Don't do that. It's the Lord's Day. It's a special day. Don't, don't, don't waste it. Use it wisely. And so, really... The preparing the soil of your heart starts on Saturday. And it's really something, by the way, that should be happening every day throughout the week. Okay, If you're not preparing the soil of your heart every day of the week, then you, it's going to be hard. Hard ground when you come to God's Word on Sunday. Or, or whenever you come to God's Word. Number four. Number four. Through prayer and disciplined thought, adjust your attitude prior to the service you expect to hear exciting and life-changing truths from God. You've got to prepare. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? Read Psalm 119. Just look. I've, I've, I've got a few verses in my notes here. Talk about uh, wonderful prayers from the Bible. Some of the ones, some of the prayers I use in my own life. Well, we read one of them earlier. Behold, you know, which says, Hey, God, would you open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word? Another one I, I say all the time when I come to God's word is, God, incline my heart to your word. Prayers coming directly from Psalm 119. So it's through prayer that God is going to change our hearts. Number five, eliminate any potential distractions that might hinder your attentiveness during the message. When you go to see a movie, before the movie starts, what do they tell you? Turn off your cell phones, right? Get rid of the distractions. If, if they do that for secular entertainment, how much more important should it be when we come to something of spiritual and eternal value? I know, some of you got to have them on vibrate for work because you're on call or something but we can't always get rid of distractions but by all means do as much as you possibly can all right we, we have enough distractions just being in a school hall all right people walking by or alarms going off you know, all sorts of things that can happen around here Romans 13 says that we're not to make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof 
So if you're purposely having things, these roadblocks, speed bumps that distract you from God's word, then that's exactly what you're doing. You're making provision for your flesh. Your flesh doesn't need any help. Your sin nature goes everywhere you go. It doesn't need help to be distracted. It can do that very well on its own. But don't put things there that's going to make it even worse. Number six, make a concerted effort during the service to understand and retain as much as you can from the teaching. Okay, God doesn't want us to be a forgetful hearer. All right, so, uh, you know, some people like to take notes. If that works for you, by all means, do it. Uh, writing down in your own words the primary lessons you learned or uh, writing down questions that might come up in your mind that you can you talk to somebody else after the, the sermon, for example, or after the teaching. Go and talk to another believer. Hey, here's what I learned, or I got a question about this. What do you think? James chapter 1, verse 25 says that if you are a hearer and a doer, then God says you will be blessed, or you will be blessed. You have to do both. You're not just here, but God expects you to be a doer of his word as well. Okay? It's the one who hears and does the Bible, what the Bible says is the one who is blessed. Do you, do you come to God's word regularly and expect whatever it says, I'm going to do that? Is that your attitude? I hope so. Number seven. Practice and develop your skills of discernment by examining the teaching carefully. But remember to maintain a humble, teachable spirit. By all means, test. In fact, the Bible commands us to test everything. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, you're to test everything. It's a command. And that includes the words that come from a preacher's mouth. It includes the Christian books you might read the radio programs you might listen to, or anything else that is referring to God's Word. By all means, test it, but there's a difference between testing and someone who ends up with the critical spirit. Who, who, who Sometimes people become very proud in the process of testing things. You can go too far with that. You think, you, well, you're the one who's always right. <laughs> Maintain a humble, teachable spirit. Number eight, discuss the message with other Christians after the service. Ask them questions. Share the encouragement, the challenges you receive from God's word. That's one of those things that's, that's going to help you. Uh, it's going to help you learn, help you grow. It's going to help you remember. Because in the process of doing that, you're actually meditating on Scripture. You're actually doing one of the core activities of the local church in Acts 2.42, which is, Biblical fellowship. So Hebrews 10, verse 24, says that you are to consider, and this is not an option, by the way, it's a command. Hebrews 10, 24 says you are to consider how to stir up other believers to love and good works. Are you doing that? Are you regularly stirring people up? I don't mean stir them up in a, in a negative way, okay? Uh, some people take that that way. You're, you're to encourage them in a good way toward love and good works. Number nine, study the passage or topic further by discussing it with a teacher or 
pastor or other knowledgeable Christians by referring to good commentaries and other helpful books. Okay? There's no way that in a sermon, one sermon, that everything can be exhausted. So by all means, if God stimulates you in a certain direction, you say, hey, I want to know more about that word or that topic or that person or something, then, then go with it. Take that bowl and run with it as far as you possibly can. And then number 10, purpose in your heart to make any changes necessary as a result of what you've learned. Pray about those changes and then practice them daily. Practice them daily. Someone has said it takes about six weeks for something to become a good habit. Okay? So it's gonna, it's gonna take time to change. You heard that phrase <laughs> from Jim Berg? Take, it takes time to change. But James 1 says you're to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. So don't give up if you've tried something for a few weeks and you say, it's not working. Sanctification is a process. Sadly, a very long process. It certainly is for me. I've been saved for over 30 years now. Sometimes I feel like, have, have I grown any closer to Jesus Christ in these last 10 years than I did the 10 years before that? It's, it's frustrating. One of the things you, the more you grow in Christ, the more you realize how far you are from Christ. The more I grow in Christ, the more I recognize I'm the greatest sinner I know. I can understand what Paul says in Romans 7. Hey, I'm not doing the things I want to do, and I do the things I shouldn't do. Well, that's what happens when God's grace works in a believer. So the first method of Bible intake is listening. Listening. Are you doing that on a regular basis? Number two, the second method of Bible intake is reading. It's reading. I know that's, it should be obvious, but it's sadly, the statistics show, statistics show it's, it is a very high percentage. Well over 50% of believers have never read through the entire Bible. And most of them do not pick up the Bible during the week. And, they, and it comes Sunday morning and they got to dust the Bible off. It's never been touched. It shouldn't be that way. So let's talk about this one. It's th- through Bible reading we have the opportunity to learn directly from the Holy Spirit. He is the master teacher. He is our helper, our comforter, our guide. He's the one who's written Scripture. And He's the one who teaches us Scripture. And so it's very helpful to learn from the teaching of others, of course. We just read in Ephesians 4, God gives gifts to the church, to you and me. Part of that is pastors and teachers and other gifted men and women. But there's a lot of joy that's actually to be found as we... As, as the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us directly from the pages of God's Word. It's much more fun to go out and find gold nuggets on your own than to have someone hand you one. More fun to find them on your own. A pastor by the name from the 1800s by the name of J.C. Ryle gave some very helpful reading tips when it comes to the Bible. These are just helpful hints, okay? So let me just share these with you. Uh, from his book, How Readest Thou, an urgent appeal to search the Scriptures. He says this, number one, 
begin reading your Bible this very day. That's obvious. You're not going to you're not going to do something unless you commit to it. It's going to take commitment. It's not, it's not an easy commitment. It's difficult. Very difficult. Especially if you do the, the Bible reading plan where you start in Genesis and you say, hey, I'm just going to read through the entire Bible. A lot of Christians give up sometime around Leviticus. Right? You might like the stories in Genesis. Wow, there's some really cool stuff going on in Exodus. You know, Red Sea crossings and plagues coming down in the most powerful nation in the world and you know, cool stuff going on there. And then they get to Leviticus and it's like law after law after law and they don't understand what is all that there for. Well, it's all about holiness. That's a key word in Leviticus, by the way. So you got it's going to take commitment. You say, I'm going to do this by God's grace. You've got to pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to behold wonderful things from His Word. It's all inspired and all profitable. Number two, read the Bible with an earnest desire to understand it. You, you all have an earnest desire to understand something. The question is, is it the most important? God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know His Son, His ways. Number three, read the Bible with deep reverence. Read it with deep reverence. This, this isn't just any book. This is the greatest book. This is God's revelation to you. Number four, read the Bible with earnest prayer for the teaching and help of the Holy Spirit. Because again, He's your teacher. He's the guide. He's the one who wrote it. You're never going to understand it without His, His grace, His guiding. Number five, read the Bible with childlike faith and humility. Pride is, is going to be the thing that's going to hinder us. And number six, read the Bible in a spirit of obedience and self-application. Do you Think about this. Do you really think the Holy Spirit is going to reveal His Word to you? If, if you're going to come to this and say, I'm only going to accept what I like. That doesn't work. It does not work. Okay? You've got to come to this and say, I'm going to do everything God tells me to do. Everything. No matter how uncomfortable it might be. And then number seven, read the Bible daily. Read it daily. Make purpose in your heart. I'm, I'm not going to miss one day, even if it's just for a couple minutes. And you say, well, I, I've done this before where I go through the whole day and I'm like, oh, it comes bedtime and I'm tired. I'm like, whoops, I haven't read the Bible yet today. Better late than never. A little bit is better than nothing. So I'll, I'll get some Bible intake, even if it's just for a little bit. Number eight, read all the Bible. Read it in an orderly way, because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is profitable. There's four ways it's profitable for you. God's Word's going to tell you what, what's wrong, how to correct it, what's right. Okay, Very easy for us to, to say, hey, you know, I, I like this portion of Scripture, but I don't want to read that part. You know, some people like poetry. Some people don't like the poetry, for example. So some people might avoid the poetry in the Bible because poetry's not their thing. Don't do that. You're missing out. Okay, God has chosen to reveal Himself in various genres. 
literary styles, and poetry is one of them. Narrative. Okay, the prophecies. There's various ways God's revealed himself, and he knows what's best. So read them all. Number nine, read the Bible fairly and honestly, determined to take everything in its plain, obvious meaning and regard all forced interpretations with great suspicion. All right, basically just read it like you'd read, you know, your dishwasher manual, for example. Okay, don't force it. Number 10, read the Bible with Christ continually in view. The grand primary object of all scriptures to testify of Jesus. Old Testament ceremonies, even Leviticus, are shadows of Christ. Old Testament judges and deliverers are types of Christ. Old Testament history shows the world's need of Christ. And Old Testament prophecies are full of Christ's sufferings. They talk about His first coming. They prophesy of His second coming. They talk of Christ's glory yet to come. So, Jesus even says in Luke chapter 24, it's all about me. He told those disciples when he was walking on the road to Emmaus, hey, he said, hey, the the Bible's about me. The Old Testament is what he was referring to at that time. And so, if you understand that clue, it will help you to understand the Bible. So why? You say, well, why, why? What is the proper motivation? Some people want to know, what is the proper motivation in reading the Bible? They don't want to do something unless they have the right motive. Now, I understand that. So here's, here's four, four legitimate motivations for daily Bible reading. Number one, duty. Duty. So if you read the Bible out of duty, guess what? I mean, that's not the greatest motivation, but at least you're still doing the right thing. You're still doing the right thing. After all, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Secondly, doctrine. These all are D's to help you remember. So we should want to study the Scriptures because we want to find biblical truth there. We want to find who God is. Who's Jesus? What is His plan for me in this world? How can I be godly? How can I be conformed to the image of Christ? How can I love God? And number three, defrost. (laughs) Defrost. We should go to the Word of God to really warm our hearts. Somebody said that you need to look well to the fire of your soul because it's a tendency of fire to go out. And so you've got to constantly get close to the fire to keep that fire stoked because the fire of your soul is going to go out if you don't. And then number four, delight. The Bible says you are delight in God and in His Word. You know the first answer to the first catechism is that you are to that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So remember that delight in the Word of God is, is only a, a work of God's grace. And so you've got to pray earnestly that God would be gracious to you in this way. Though those are some proper motivations for daily Bible reading. Uh, by the way, I, I did bring with me some Bible reading plans. Uh, if, you're, if you're one of these people who struggles with discipline you need a Bible reading plan. Okay, let's just get practical here, if we haven't haven't already. Uh, I found these on esv.org slash Bible reading plans. So you can go to that website. You can, and there's plenty of other websites. But go to, this is just one that I found that I use. 
So uh, there was seven or eight or ten, I can't even remember now, at least seven different Bible reading plans, okay? So if you're one of these people where variety is the spice of life, then mix it up, all right? Let me just give you a few options. I brought these with me, and I'm hoping that you all will take these home and use them this year, okay? So if you want these, you can have them, all right? Here's one. Uh, There's a six-month New Testament reading plan. Okay, so you can read through the entire New Testament in six months. So you got uh, starting on January the 1st, you read Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Okay, anybody can do that. Not that difficult. So it gives you plenty of time if you somehow miss a day or whatever. All right, so that's one option. Anybody want that one? Anybody like that option? Raise your hand. Shelly, you can have that. All right, there you go. And that's her. So if you want these, raise your hand, okay? Here's another one. Uh, This is a daily reading plan where... Uh, you are reading through the entire Bible in a year. By the way, you realize it only takes 10 minutes a day. It's only 10 minutes a day, and you can read through the entire Bible in a year. Right? Uh, I listened to the New Testament over a couple-month period one time, and it only took me 25 hours. 25 hours to listen to the entire New Testament. All right? It doesn't take that long. All right? So this one starts where on January the 1st you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Psalm 1, and then Matthew 1 and 2. So that's, you're getting an Old Testament book, you get the Psalms or Proverbs, and then you get something from the New Testament. So who'd like to try that option this year? Anybody? All right, so pass that one back. Keep going back behind you there. All the way to the back. Okay, here's another one. All right, this is the chronological Bible reading plan. I know, don't freak out. My wife, my wife tried reading a chronological Bible one year, and it was frustrating because you, you, you like you start in Genesis, and then you, you start reading, and then you end up jumping Job, and then you're all over the Psalms and Proverbs, and you, you're all over the place, and she, she found that frustrating. So if you're one of these really organized, compartmentalized brain people, this may not work for you, okay? I just give you a heads up, I'll give you a warning. But uh, if, if you're not one of those people, you might love this because the Bible is not laid out chronologically. It's laid out in genres. Okay? So, I mean, you, you, you read like Genesis 1 through 11 in the first three days, and then you're jumping over to Job. All right? And then you, then you might you read through Job, and then you're back to Genesis, and then, you're, you know, and you, and then you'll be reading through, and you, you come to the historical books of your Bible, and then you might read a psalm. And, and, so it's, it's all over the place, all right? Anybody want to try that one this year? Okay, good. That's a good way to do it. You pass that, pass that back. All right, here's another one. This is, uh, you're reading through the Bible in a year again here, but this one's different. This is, you're reading, say, January 1st, you're reading Genesis 1 and 2, and then Matthew 1. Okay, so you're reading one passage in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. It gets you through the whole Bible, so you finish on December 31st by reading Revelation chapter 22. All right, that one's kind of a little more simple. Anyone want to try that one? All right, I have it up here if you don't, uh, if you want to change your mind, okay? Those are just some of the plans. And, and as I was looking at the website, just so you're aware of this, go if you go to ES, esvbible.org, if you're one of these, these technical people who love technology, you know, you're just into the digital world, then there's all kinds of helpful things for you. If you want an app on your phone, for example, if you're one of those people who got an iPhone or some smartphone, 
you can actually get an app on your phone that will help you in reading the Bible. Okay? If that works for you, by all means, do it. Okay? There's, there's stuff you can use an e-reader of some sort, or uh, there's something that will send, send the Scripture you know, to your computer, give you reminders on your computer. There's all sorts of various things there you can use that will be a help to you. Use them. God's been gracious, especially in the English language, okay? Okay, let me just uh, finish with uh, a few additional hints for Bible reading here, okay? Number one, set aside a definite time and stick with it. Okay? Make it, in other words, make it a priority in your life. God comes first, right? Hopefully, that's the way it should be. So, if, you, if you're not going to make a definite time, then you're probably not going to do it. That's usually what happens. Uh, number two, when you fail, don't quit. Rather, determine to start again. Right? The Bible says in Proverbs that the just man falls seven times, but he gets back up. God's gracious. He understands. Number three, plan ahead for success by getting a good night's rest. You can't stay up late and then expect to feel refreshed for for a good quiet time with God early the next morning, that just isn't going to happen. Now, by the way, you don't have to read the Bible in the morning. It could be at some other time. Uh, for me, it doesn't doesn't work first thing in the morning. I put it off a little bit later when my mind's working better. My, when I try to use the best time of the day, if I can, to get into God's Word. When my mind's working the best. I want God to have the best part of my life. So... Uh, Number four, select a special place. Uh, if you're one of those people who likes ruts, <laughs> by all means, pick a location, have your favorite chair, your favorite lights, your favorite cup of coffee, whatever it might be, and sit down and enjoy, okay? Uh, some people having the, just building a successful pattern in their life is helpful. Some people don't like ruts, so maybe you need to get out of the rut, go somewhere else. I enjoy doing that. You ever done that? I've gone to Hamilton Gardens to read the Bible before. I'll go to some other park, go to the bush. Oh, wonderful times with God when, when I'm out in the bush all by myself. Enjoy a beautiful sunrise or listening to the birds, reading, reading God's Word. Getting out of the rut can be helpful for some people. Number five, approach your quiet time with an attitude of expectancy. Say, God's going to use His Word in my life. I'm going to hear, and I'm going to obey. And number six, discipline yourself to be godly. First Timothy 4, verse 7, that's what it tells us to do. Discipline yourself for godliness. By the way, do you know the word discipline there? First Timothy 4. We get the English word gymnasium from the Greek word discipline. Gymnazo is the Greek word. Gymnazo, in other words, work out. Work out. Work up a sweat. That was the idea. It's a place where you, you build your spiritual muscles. Okay? It takes discipline to be godly. And number seven, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Okay? Not only does it take discipline, it takes a work of God's grace in your life. It will never happen without that. And number eight, read the Bible predominantly, not other books. I say that because sometimes I know I know Satan in this world and my own indwelling sin is going to do everything to fight. I can read commentaries, Christian devotional books, 
I can get it, you know, I'm surrounded by them in my office, and it's, it's a wonderful place to be. And I can read those things for an hour, and then it comes time to read the Bible, and it's like, I feel, I, I feel like I'm, what, what happened here? It's like I was enjoying reading that commentary, which for most of you, you'd find extremely boring, probably. Now I'm enjoying eating up the commentary, and then I open the Bible, and I'm like, whoa, this is hard. Why is that? Because this is the book that's alive and active and God's using in my life. All those other books are just helping me to understand the Bible. And so this world and the Satan and, and, and my own indwelling sin is going to fight it. Be aware of that. Number nine, record insights. And by doing that, uh, that's going to help you to meditate on Scripture. So you just ask questions. Bombard Scripture with questions. Who, what, where, when, why, to what extent, so forth. So when you're bombarding the text with, with questions, it'll help you to think. Not just read, but think. Meditate. And then number ten, make personal application. You know, for example, uh, there's, there's something I like to use. It's called specs. Think of the word specs. You know, eyeglasses. Eyeglasses help you to see better, right? That's why we wear them, or in my case, I'm wearing contact lenses. So take the word specs, and you, you, look, as you're reading the Scripture, you're, you're saying, hey, you know, the S in the word specs. You say, you know, hey, I'm looking for sins to confess. The P is promises to claim. The E is examples to follow. The C is commands to obey. The T is truths to rejoice in. Okay, those are just a few things that, that I try to look for when you come to Scripture. Don't just read. Have, have a plan. These are things I want to look for and meditate upon. That's not original with me. And there's more, by the way. And then number 11, learn to measure your attention span. Learn to measure your attention span, okay? If you're not used to reading through the Bible in a year, you might want to try doing something a little bit smaller so you're not discouraged, okay? It might take some time to, to grow. And then learn to extend your attention span. If you've been saved for many years, well, you, hopefully you've read through the Bible at least once in your life. If not, make a plan to do that. And number 13, use proper lighting that's a, a, actually appropriate to reading. And I, and, I, and I say this because uh, when I was in the Christian university, we had a prayer room in the bottom of our dormitory. This prayer room was devoted just for people to go there and pray and read God's Word. And there was this table. It was kind of scary when I first went there. There was this table sitting in this dark room, one little spotlight up in the ceiling, shining down under the table. It looked like I had walked into an FBI interrogation room. It was kind of freaky at first. But then when I got used to it, it was kind of nice. And, and so I go in there, and you're not distracted because the whole room's dark, and you just sit your Bible on the table, and you can read. There's nothing, no art in the walls, nothing, no sounds is great. So that was good. Use proper lighting. It would be helpful. Number four, get comfortable for brain work. Get comfortable for brain work. You ever heard it said that your brain's only going to endure as much as your seat of learning can endure? <laughs> Often the case. You don't want to get too comfortable, which is why we got these chairs to sit on, right? Helps keep you awake. So hopefully you're going to spend a lot of time in God's Word. 
You don't want to get too comfortable, but you don't want to be in pain either. Just practical things, all right? Number 15, eliminate distractions. Eliminate distractions. You know, Jesus said when it comes to prayer time, you go into your private closet. That's one way to eliminate distractions. Go to a room, shut the door. Uh, For me, having children around, I've often had to put on earmuffs. It was funny, my one-year-old son was imitating me when he was one years old, one year old, I found him sitting on the couch one day. He had opened up a Bible. He couldn't even read. He was one year old. He had put on my earmuffs. He was imitating me because I try to get rid of distractions. I, I'm one of these people who's easily distracted. Okay, maybe you're not, but if you are, you got to eliminate those. You might need your spouse to take the kids out of the house, or you might need to leave the house. You might need to find some quiet place to read. And then number 16, learn to talk to yourself. <laughs> learn to talk to yourself, right? Talking to yourself can, can be helpful. I, I don't mean in a weird way, okay? The Scripture talks about that. You don't, you don't want to listen to yourself. In the process, you end up with a noisy soul. But talk to yourself using the Scripture to talk to yourself. You might need to read Scripture out loud, for example. And 17, vary your approach. Sometimes... Uh, so, you know, maybe sometimes, hey, you're going to say, I'm going to study this passage, or I'm going to, I'm going to look at this passage to defrost my soul today. Right? You might need to get out of a rut. And then last one is, remember the best way to eat an elephant. Any of you eaten an elephant? Nobody? Okay. You know how to eat an elephant? Elephants are big, right? right? The, the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Because you can't stick the whole thing in your mouth and eat it in one bite, right? That's just not possible. So some of you might be thinking, man, this is huge. Especially if you've got a giant print Bible like this. You say, man, that looks really big. That isn't going to happen. Well, treat it like eating an elephant. Just one bite at a time. So those are some helpful hints. Let me just wrap this up quickly. My friends, you've you got to realize something about Christianity. Christianity is not a set of beliefs. Christianity is not a creed, but Christianity, what's the first part of the word Christianity? It's Christ. Christianity is a person. And so when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, if if, if you put your faith in Him, guess what? You received a person, a real person. Sure, there's many times, uh, you know, you can learn about Christ. And and, uh, although there are many things to learn about Christ and the Christian life, we got to re- never forget that there is a personal relationship to be enjoyed. And like any relationship, you have to maintain that relationship. It doesn't just happen on its own. You've got to maintain that. If you have a friend or a spouse or parents, siblings or whatever, if you ignore the relationship, it's going to fall apart. That's, that's the way it is with Christ. You've got to maintain that relationship. It takes work. You say, how? Well, personal relationships are maintained by communication. They're maintained by communication. Okay? How's that going to happen? Because Jesus isn't, you know, he's not here physically. He's given us his spirits. How's how's communication going to happen? All right? You can talk to God through prayer. And through his word, he talks to you. The two-way street happens that way. By the way, the deeper the sharing, 
the deeper and stronger the relationship's going to be. Okay, if you have a relationship with someone on Facebook, for example, and, and you just chit-chat about frivolous things, that's not a deep relationship. So communication is a two-way street. It's not one way. And so God's going to speak to us through Bible study, through reading and listening of His Word, and, and then we get to speak to God through prayer. So for the healthy relationship, a deep, healthy relationship to happen, you need that two-way communication. And by the way, every Christian needs fellowship with God. Okay? Lone Ranger Christians, is that's an unhealthy situation. Okay, he's programmed us this way, and this is accomplished through a daily walk with Jesus Christ. And in the process, it enables us to enjoy all that God has in store for us. And so, my friend, realize, here's where the battleground lies. Here's where the battleground lies. You have three enemies, okay? Three enemies. Listen closely. You have the devil, Satan, this world, this, this system that you and I live in, And then number three, your indwelling sin, your sin nature. Three enemies that are going to come after you as hard as they can, as often as they can. They don't love you and they want to destroy you. Fight them. Fight them. Ephesians 6 says you are to stand, you are to be strong in the Lord. Take that armor, which is the gospel and the word of God, the only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6. The word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that's where the battleground lies. It's where victory or defeat in the Christian life is going to be decided. It's it's in you. It's in you. Do you recognize that? You're doing something about it? This is God's means of grace. This is God's means for victory for the defeat of those three enemies that we all have. My friends, here's my exhortation, my pastoral exhortation as we wrap up this year, 2013. Use God's Word. Don't neglect it. Use it. 